We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, UCA Koshal. We are recording this episode on a Tuesday here, July 18th, and we are just over one week away from the start of training camp uh, for the Chicago Bears here. It is it is getting down to the wire here, say. but in the meantime, we've been getting some updates on uh, some Madden ratings and some drama going on in uh, the running back market and tight end market. Uh, a lot to talk about today. So uh, before we get started, how you doing today, man? I'm doing well. You're right. There is just so much going on because it's it's weird, right? But we're sitting here on the 18th recording this, and there's, I think, six or seven teams that have actually had their rookies report to training camp already. And I believe, for those of you guys keeping score at home, but the Bears always have their rookies report two or three days early. So those rookies are possibly going to be at Hallows Hall the 22nd or 23rd you know this Saturday or Sunday and then the rest of the team the veterans all those guys are going to be reporting on the 25th which is going to be you know the official report day so it's really getting down to the wire here and then we've got the Hall of Fame game happening in a little over two weeks you know so everything's moving so quickly and before you know it we're going to be sitting here and talking about Bears Packers week one and who the starting quarterback in green bay is going to be because they just signed the packers just signed the usfl mvp yeah absolutely i mean we can touch on some of those storylines but i think the meat of this podcast today is going to be going over some storylines for the bears uh and, and some of the things that we anticipate going on in training camp this year and i think we might as well just get into it uh right away here and when we look forward to uh bears training camp um, what, what are some of the storylines for you that you think uh, really stand out that you're looking forward to seeing? Well, the biggest storyline, and we're not going to talk about the obvious stuff like Justin Fields' development or DJ Moore, Darnell Mooney, Chase Claypool, because we've done all that. But 
the biggest question mark and storyline that is certainly worth following is what is that front five going to look like? And I say that because you have two tackles on rookie deals, Braxton Jones and Darnell Wright. Darnell Wright, a guy that a lot of people argue is going to be someone who is going to very well be a top player in this league. A lot of people also wonder how Darnell Wright was the second offensive lineman selected behind Paris Johnson Jr. Some people have his projections all over the place because they say that Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern, as well as Roderick Jones, who ended up being drafted by the Steelers are two players that are graded out much higher than Darnell Wright. So it's just a matter of scheme fit perspective and people's overall scouting process. But looking at the offensive line outside of the two tackles, you have a veteran at center, Cody Whitehair, who again is on the tail end of his career. And if I were to put a cap on Cody Whitehair's career with the bears, I would probably say he's got one or two good years left in him before this regime looks to move on from him. The major question mark for me though is What's going to go on with Tevin Jenkins? He came into the league as a right tackle, moved over to left tackle under Matt Nagy in the previous regime, then moved back to right guard, kind of found his niche and found his calling card. But guess what? The issue is that the first two years of his career have been mired by injuries. He missed a large portion of training camp as a rookie. Then he missed the start of training camp again last year. And then there were a lot of trade rumors floating around. And so this is really it for Tevin Jenkins in a sense of this is a player that has the most to prove of anybody, I would say, on offense outside of the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, this really is uh, a huge year for Tevin Jenkins. And, I mean, he was, by uh, most accounts, the, the Bears' best lineman uh, this past season, um, especially as a run blocker where he was dominant um, in, in that aspect of the game. But, yeah, this is a huge year for him because I don't think – I think you got to get the sense of this as well, that the organization isn't really sold on Jenkins as a long-term piece. At least that's kind of the, the feeling that I've been getting. and. Um, you know, because you don't go out there and sign Nate Davis to play right guard if you're sold on Tim and Jenkins as your long-term right guard, if that makes sense. So obviously they're, they're fine moving him around and and they're still in a, I guess, like exploratory, exploratory stage of seeing where he best fits on the team and if he is a fit long-term. But I mean, there are a lot of, you know, question marks with Jenkins, you know, can he stay healthy? Can he um, be reliable for the team. Can he improve in pass protection? Right. Um, can he be a little bit more consistent on a down to down basis? So those are all the things um, that you're kind of questioning here. And, I, but with that said, he brings a lot of positive traits to the table, like the mentality that he brings on the offensive line, the physicality, um, just the dominating presence in the run game as a run blocker. You love all those things that he adds to the table. So yeah, he's going into year three, and year three is usually when you see a lot of these offensive linemen really come into their own as players. So, you know, it's going to be, I, I think, it might be a little bit of a transition for him because he's going from right guard to left guard. And for some players, that's not a big problem, For but for others, that can be a big issue, right? So, yeah, you, you certainly hope that he can, you know, I, I guess put it all together this next season. I mean, for the offensive line in general, though, it's going to be interesting because, you know, training camp isn't really the best showcase for how an offensive line plays, especially when they don't have the pads on. So it's really going to come down to, you know, seeing how these guys play in preseason games. And of, and of course, when they have the pads on in camp, you know, how does the offensive line perform on those days? But yeah, it, it's, 
it's a lot of it is just kind of, you know, getting these guys, see where the, these guys are playing, what kind of combinations they're working with. I think that can give us a lot of good indications of where this coaching staff sees these guys going into this season. Uh, in terms of like a position group that I'm kind of looking forward to or a storyline that I'm kind of interested in seeing is um, where is this secondary at in regards to, uh, to this Bears team? Because, you know, we know that, we talked about it quite a bit that the defensive line is not shaping up to be a very good unit. And oftentimes it's really tough to kind of gauge um, how good a pass rush is and how good a defensive line is in training camp, because there's a lot of seven on seven. There's a lot of, you know, drills that don't necessarily involve, you know, the trenches getting after it very much. Um, But with that said, there is a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff, like I said, a lot of seven on seven, a lot of stuff that involves the secondary going up against receivers and tight ends and whatnot. And the bears are improved on offense at the skill position. So that's going to put a little bit more pressure on the secondary that is shaping up to be, you know, what many bears fans hopes to be a strength of this defense going into this year. So you look at, you know, obviously you have Eddie Jackson, Jaquan Brisker as your starting safety duo, uh, but, cornerback you have Jalen Johnson and then you got Kyler Gordon Terry Stevenson and uh, after that it's a lot of other young guys and you know there are some question marks about some depth but I think personally the cornerback room is looking good safety room is a little bit you know we talked about this last week it's a little questionable right so how do these guys look in training camp um is there any way that's going to come up and surprise us in the secondary and you know just how good can this unit be because they're going to have to really be excellent this year for this defense to do well, because they're not going to get the support probably of a great pass rush. I mean, I'm just, just looking at this thing on paper, which is all you can do at this point in the year. So this secondary really has to take a step forward. You have a nice mix of veterans and young talent here, but it it all depends on how they mesh as a unit, I think. And yeah, we'll, we'll see what ends up going on there because, you know, speaking of uh, improved, you know, how, how the second is going to be going because improved tight ends and, and wide receivers for the bears uh, this offseason training camp. I guess another thing that we can kind of touch on here um, in regards to this roster is we, we got some recent news in the NFL when it comes to Evan Ingram tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars got an extension um, from the team on a three year. I think it was, it was about $14 million or just under $14 million per year on the deal. Uh, so Evan Ingram getting a uh, pretty hefty extension there. Why this is important for the Bears is uh, because the Bears going to the training camp. Uh, I think one of the other storylines for the team is, you know, Cole Komet. He's going into the final year of his rookie contract, and he's certainly going to be looking for an extension going into this season, um, the last year of that rookie deal. And I wouldn't say that this extension kind of complicates the, the extension, but it kind of puts – the market into perspective for, you know, the bears and cool Komet because you're looking at some of the top tight ends in the NFL right now. Uh, George Kittle, he's, he's a standard right now at about $15 million per year. And Evan Ingram coming in just below that, that kind of sets the standard of, okay, well now the expectation is that Komet is going to be a 13, $14 million guy. And the question on a lot of bears fans minds is, is Komet worth the money? So, uh, what what are your thoughts on this entire situation here involving Komet? Uh, I mean, it's certainly a sticky situation. And when I saw the three-year, $41.5 million deal with $24 million guaranteed that Evan Ingram got, I said, that is not good at all if you are in the Bears' front office simply because 
from the outside in, I mean, this is a regime that is not tied to Kokomet at all. Yes, everyone wants to sit there and kind of cite his chemistry with Justin Fields as being a major reason that the Bears need to go ahead and extend him. But next year's tight end class, I promise you, is looking really strong. And you would actually upgrade if you drafted a tight end next year, both in the short term and in the long term, if you went ahead and decided to move on from Kokomet. But to me, this just comes down to value and priorities for this team. I mean, when looking at the offensive line and the tight end position groups, this is a team that's made it very clear they want their tight ends to help out in the run game, really get out in space and help block. And, you know, Cole's good at that, but also as a tight end, the more versatile you are, the better you can be. I mean, Cole's a very good U tight end in terms of being a Y tight end, though, is where he tends to struggle at times because there's incredibly limited route trees so for the bears i mean you're looking at this and you're going ahead and saying okay we know what his strengths are but also the weaknesses in a sense do outweigh the strengths so he isn't worth you know 15 million dollars a year at all the jaguars if we're going to be honest the key thing to understand with that entire situation is it's a team that surprised a lot of people last year Doug Peterson seems to have figured it out with Trevor Lawrence, but being such a small market team that believes they're ready to take the next step forward, this was a move that was also about keeping Trevor Lawrence happy and continuing to build on the momentum that was established on offense last season. So, And the Jags are a small market team, so there is a little bit of an overpay there. I would actually argue that it should not have been $24 million in guaranteed money really probably should have been anywhere from 15 to 17 or 18 million in guaranteed money with an incentive laden deal. But that is a route that the bears could take with Komet is give him a bit more guaranteed money and then go ahead and dish out a three or four year deal and make it incentive laden so that he's in a situation where he gets his financial situation sorted out in the short term and in the long term it doesn't necessarily hurt the bears either because you're forcing cole Clement to earn every penny after that guaranteed money we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I was going to mention that too. The Jaguars. Here's the thing that's to remember about the Jaguars that they historically will go out of their way to overpay for players because they're not a free agent destination. 
um, you, know, you know, and typically outside right now where they do have a lot of momentum as a young team with Trevor Lawrence and stuff like that, um, you know, they're typically not a winning organization and they know that. So they know that they kind of have to overpay people to kind of get them uh, to go there. And I mean, this is kind of the case where I think they're, again, they're, they're screwing up the markets right again, again now uh, by making this move for Evan Ingram, which I, I don't think it's an egregious overpay for, for Ingram, but he's kind of coming off kind of a one-year wonder type of season where, you know, he, they brought him in as a one-year flyer last year and, you know, that was after kind of being considered, I wouldn't say a bust, but a disappointment as a first round pick in New York uh, for the Giants. And, you know, he came on for them late last year as key cog in that offense. And so they're they're clearly paying him as if they're seeing that production uh, continue for the future there. So they're, they're definitely projecting that performance going forward here. Um but yeah, I mean, we saw the Jaguars do this last offseason when they when they signed Christian Kirk to all the money, and that kind of ruined the wide receiver market or, or made it go uh, just go crazy for last offseason. And this year, kind of readjusted to where not a lot of wide receivers were getting huge contracts and whatnot. So I, I, this is pretty normal for the Jaguars to kind of you know screw over the the markets for every other team. It seems like, um, but in terms of like the Bears and Cole Komet here, like. Theoretically, like Cole Komet could make the argument that, you know, if if Aaron Ingram is getting uh, that level of money, that he should be getting similar money as well. If we're just looking at this at a, at a baseline level, because, I mean, if we're just going to look at some of the numbers here, like you can say that obviously Cole Komet didn't have the volume that Aaron Ingram had last year, but their efficiency was you know somewhat similar. If you're looking at like just PFF grades here. Um, which I'm looking at right now, um, they were pretty similar in terms of uh, receiving grade uh, this past year for PFF. And I know that PFF is not a, um, let's just say they're not a uh, well-liked uh, organization or resource for a lot of uh, NFL fans and Bears fans because um, it's a classic thing where if PFF says, your player is awesome. You're going to use that stat to prop up your player. If PFF uses a stat to say your player is bad, then, oh, PFF's the worst. Like, why PFF's like, why Why do they do this? Why do we listen to them? Stuff like that. So it's 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 classic stuff like that. But if we're just looking at, like, so the way that they had uh, these two graded last year, uh, Cole Komet last year, they had him with a 66.1 PFF receiving grade uh, this past season. When you look at Evan Ingram, he wasn't that much better. Um, then Cole Komet, he had a 68.3 receiving grade. So if you're Cole Komet's agent, you could use that as kind of a reason to say like, hey, like, look at these two players. Like, Cole Komet's pretty similar to Evan Ingram in that regard. Like, you know, they're really not that far off. Um, you know, Cole Komet, he's got the, the fact that he's a younger player. Uh, he's been a durable player, a much more consistent player than Evan Ingram. So you can make all these arguments, I think, in favor of Cole Komet. You can also say for Cole Komet in his favor that he's gotten better every single year. And that's something that you can't take away from the guy is that he has improved since getting into the NFL. It's not a thing like Evan Ingram where he's shown flashes in the past, but has rarely, you know, showed consistent development and a consistent upward trajectory. Whereas with Cole Komet, you are seeing a consistent, you know, upward trajectory in his play. But with that said, there are also a couple factors that, you know, especially in my opinion, like I just, I just cannot justify giving Cole Komet 
that much money on a per year basis, especially over the long term. You know, first of all, when you look at uh, again, I'm using PFF stats again. So if you, if people want to flame me in the comments or whatever, they can do that. But uh, when you look at uh, specifically at the tight end position, and this isn't uh, this is not uh, factoring in like how many snaps these guys played. So take that with a grain of salt. But uh, for the Bears. For, for Cole Komet across the NFL this past year, he was PFF's 27th ranked tight end, which would have him as a low-level starter. He had a 67.6 overall grade on offense for PFF, so which is good. It's it's above average, but it's nothing spectacular. Like you look at his him across the board, like 66.1 receiving grade again, pretty solid. Nothing spectacular there. Uh, 66, 68.8. Um, Pass blocking grade, when you look at him as a run blocker, he was a top 10 run blocker among tight ends for PFF. So, um, yeah, there are some positive aspects to what Cole Komet brings to the table. Um, but, again, the thing with me is that Evan Ingram, the reason why it's a little bit different compared to Komet is that, you know, Evan Ingram is clearly a much better weapon in the passing game than Cole Komet is, and that's just – it's just apparent when you watch these two uh, play. And when you look at the numbers too, too it kind of gets, uh, it, again, even though the grades are kind of similar, like you look at yards per route run, for instance, like Cole Komet was at 1.27 yards per route run this past year. Evan Ingram was at 1.45. So he was much more f- efficient on a per play basis. Um, uh, in terms of like yards after the catch, Evan Ingram was more prolific in terms of getting yards after the catch. Um, and just in, in general, I think you can do more with Evan Ingram as a player as opposed to Cole Komet, who's much more limited into the type of routes he can run and things like that. So it's 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 just a fascinating conversation. Ultimately, I don't know what the Bears are going to do here about this because Ryan Pulse has shown in the past that he has a price that he's going to stick to, and clearly like they've shown in the past that they're not, they're willing to stick it out and, and not pay a guy just for the sake of paying a guy. Like they're going to pay a guy if he's going to be willing to take their price. So that's where it gets interesting. Like where do we think a market is for Cole Komet when it's all said and done? Like, I don't know. Like, do, do you think this is a, a situation where you could see maybe Cole Komet sit out practices or hold out or, you know, something like that because this this is an issue last year with Roquan Smith and a little bit of a different situation there. I don't think Cole Komet would probably do that considering he knows this is a big year for him um, and he doesn't have as much cachet as Roquan, but I don't know. what what Do you think anything like that could happen throughout the course of training camp? I don't because every time the question of Cole and his contracts come up, he's always dodged it and kind of said, hey, listen, I am here to just focus on the football side of things. The money will take care of itself in terms of getting a long-term extension done. It's key to understand that – so you bring up Roquan Smith, and Roquan was this interesting case study because he was one of the top players at his position – and naturally, yes, he wanted to go ahead and reset the market. But it's also key to understand that Roquan had great production from day one. But with Cole, a lot of what it also is, is that there's a certain sentiment which exists from his perspective because he did grow up in the area. He did grow up a Bears fan. And so naturally for him, 
it doesn't seem likely that he would even entertain the thought of sitting out simply because he wants to go out there and play as hard as he can for the team that he ultimately grew up rooting for. So I don't see him sitting out at all. And another key thing to understand is if you kind of look at the locker room last season, I mean, Cole was one player who burst onto the scene as a leader. And he knows that younger guys are constantly around him and constantly watching him. So I just don't see a scenario where Cole is kind of sitting out games just because he needs to go ahead and get his paycheck. Cause he's always going to be the mindset of the paycheck will take care of itself. Yeah, I, I agree mostly. I, I I don't think we're going to see a similar situation to Roquan. I, I, I think it's worth keeping in mind just in case it does happen. But I, I think for a lot of the reasons you pointed out, it's uh, it's it's probably not as likely, definitely not as likely, I think, as what we saw last year. Uh, one last thing I'll point out here before we move on to our next topic, or our next training camp topic is uh, just looking at your top tight end contracts in the NFL today. Um you know, your top five contracts right now are Darren Waller making about $17 million per year, George Kittle at $15 million uh, per year, Travis Kelsey at 14, Goddard at 14, Mark Andrews at 14, and Everett Ingram was just outside the top five at just under $14 million. So the market for a top five contract for tight ends is in that 13 to $14 million um, area. And then uh, the top 10, the 10th tight end in terms of uh, average value per year Zach Ertz currently making ten and a half million dollars per year so if you're going to be paying Cole Komet you're probably going to have to be in that top 10 area so I think a lot of things that Bears fans have to ask themselves is do we think that Cole Komet um, is worth that price tag moving forward here and I'll just throw out there throw it out there that you know a player that I think is very similar to Cole Komet in terms of skill set and uh, value to a team and impact on offense Dalton Schultz he just got you know, it, it's disappointing free agency for him this past offseason at one year, $6 million with the Houston Texans. Um, so definitely keep that in mind when we talk with the prospects of paying Cole Komet a long-term deal. Um, you have to look at players that he's similar to, and it's 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 interesting to see where Dalton Schultz came in at, at the end of the day. But um, let's move on here to our last uh, training camp topic before we discuss a little bit of college football um, to end things out here. And um, the last storyline we want to touch on is the rookie class. And, you know, there are going to be some rookies that are going to be in some pretty interesting position battles here um, that are going to have to earn some playing time. And Iberflus and his coaching staff showed this last year that, you know, it is because a rebuild, obviously that's part of the reason why, but um, they're not afraid to play the young players. Um, if it means that, uh, you know, if they're, if they're playing well, basically that they're going to get playing time. So when you look at some of the rookie rookies here you said who are some of the guys that are going to be in position battles that you're most interested in seeing this training camp i mean there's two guys that really come to mind the first one is wide receiver tyler scott a fourth round pick of the bears from cincinnati you look at tyler and his college tape and again i went back and watched it once after the bears had drafted him just to get reacclimated with who he was as an individual see if i had noticed anything different about him prior to watching it and really, I will say with Tyler Scott, you're getting a player who is sort of like a joystick. He's a 
dynamic playmaker with the ball in his hands. He's a guy who has some room to grow. He may be on the smaller side, so that's going to limit him to having to play in the slot. But what you're getting is a player that's capable and can be coached up to run pretty much any route on the field. And there is a level of versatility that he brings. You can line him up in the backfield or, like I said a second ago, put him in the slot. He's going to be going up against Valus Jones Jr. Because we know who the Bears' first three wide receivers are. It's going to be DJ Moore, Donnell Mooney, and Chase Claypool. After that, though, I mean, this is a competition that's wide open. And we're talking that wide receiver four spot could be anyone from a Dante Pettis or Equinemius St. Brown to possibly a Tyler Scott or Valus Jones Jr. And then another positional battle worth watching is the Sam linebacker spot. What does Jack Sanborn do? Can he outlast Noah Sewell? Now, throughout mandatory minicamp and OTAs, there was a point where Matt Eberflus quoted Jack Sanborn and pretty much said that Jack's a very instinctual player. He's going to be the starter for us at the Sam linebacker spot. He can play multiple positions for us on defense. That is a really strong endorsement of a guy who last year at this time was an undrafted free agent and just trying to make the team. But the real question does begin now. If Sanborn, who is expected to be fully healed from his ankle injury that ended last season for him, can he continue to outplay Noah Sewell, a guy who also through our OTAs and minicamp really burst onto the scene and was willing to go ahead and have a couple interceptions and show that he could be a playmaker himself? Like Those are two positional battles that are certainly worth watching for a team that at this point we can say there's starters penciled in, but when the depth chart drops, there's going to be a handful of surprises. Yeah, I'm Tyler Scott versus Fields Jones and some of the other wide receivers in this roster, you know, it's, I think the role that these guys play is also going to be interesting to see as well, because uh, you look at the receivers currently in the roster, like DJ Moore, we know he can do a little bit of everything as your number one wide receiver, but you look at some of the other guys like Darnell Mooney, he kind of fits that mold as like an undersized route runner, deep threat type of guy who can get open at all three levels of the field. While Claypool is that traditional X, you know, outside receiver who's going to be useful as a blocker and as a deep threat on the sideline, a jump ball guy and all that stuff. So you can make a lot of comparisons or a lot of through lines to a lot of these backups to what type of role they'll, they'll be backing up, I should say. So like, for instance, like Eponymous State Brown, he's clearly a backup to Chase Claypool because he's that taller, bigger, you know, blocking X receiver who's going to be playing on the outside a lot. He's not a slot guy. He's not, you know, going to be adding a lot of value uh, doing some of that stuff, right? Um, and you wouldn't expect him to be doing a lot of other stuff besides that. Whereas Tyler Scott, I think he's very similar. I wouldn't say he's a similar player, but skill set wise, I think he does have a lot of similarities to Darnell Mooney, where both of those guys are undersized guys, but both are good route runners. Both have pretty good quickness at their size, and both um, are effective as deep threats. So I think um, that's kind of something you have to factor in as well. And then Vilas Jones is kind of like his own thing because he's more like a return specialist gadget guy. So when it comes to like the, the position battles right there, that, that's something that kind of has to be factored, factored in as well. And I think um, if anything, I, I feel like Dante Pettis and, and Vilas Jones will be guys that will be um, competing for a roster spot here because both of those two kind of do the same thing in terms of, both being return specialists. Felix Jones is more of a gadget guy than Dante Pettis, whereas I guess Pettis, Pettis can be more of that Darnold Mooney backup. Um, but 
Yeah, that's also something to kind of think about as well, I think. But I think the linebacker battle you mentioned between Sanborn and uh, Sewell is going to be super interesting to watch in training camp because um, they're, they're kind of like polar opposites as players, right? Because uh, Sewell, he was kind of a guy that was really hyped up going to last year in college as kind of like a top linebacker prospect. And then um, it, it seemed like the NFL and uh, draft Twitter kind of you know soured on him. And that obviously got uh, – Amplified by the fact that, or exemplified by the fact that he went later in the drafts as a day three guy in the fifth round, um, as opposed to being, you know, first round, second round type of prospect that he was kind of projected to be going into the year. But, you know, freak athlete, you know, we, we all know about Sewell as a prospect, right? You know, he has the size, strength, and athleticism profile that just, you know, screams off the page as this guy has, is physically built for the linebacker position at the NFL level. Whereas Sanborn, you know, he was always, you know, kind of like an under underrated guy in terms of, you know, the way scouts viewed him. I, I think a lot of draft Twitter people did like him quite a bit or our draft community did like him quite a bit um, for what he was, but he was never considered like a top linebacker prospect or anything. Um, didn't test bad or anything as, a, as an athlete, but he doesn't definitely was not the freak athlete that Sewell was. And then when he went undrafted, you know, it seemed like a lot of people, you know, kind of like saw him as like, okay, well, if there's any undrafted player that's going to make it, he's going to be the guy that makes the roster because he does a lot of things very well that should translate to being a solid player. And we saw that as a rookie. Like, uh, Sanborn was pretty dang good as a rookie at the linebacker spot, filled in pretty admirably when they traded away Roquan Smith and he got more playing time. Um, so I'm curious to see, like, like you said, like, you know, where are those two going to be at in terms of the depth chart? Because Obviously, Tremaine Edmonds and uh, TJ Edwards are going to be your two starters, right? And I'm saying those are the two starters because, again, in the NFL today, you're not playing, you know, three linebackers in a traditional 4-3 anymore. You know, the base defense in today's NFL is going to be 4-2-5, where you have four down linemen, two linebackers, and five defensive backs out there. Um, that's just the way the NFL is played now. But there are going to be some certain packages where you're going to need three linebackers out there particularly somebody that can, you know, go downhill, take on blocks and be a bit of a run stopper guy. And I think Sewell and Sanborn kind of both fit that mold as those strong side linebackers that can take on blocks and, you know, be effective in the run game. So it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, which of those two kind of wins the job there. I, I'm, I'm thinking that Sanborn is going to keep the job because he was, he was so impressive uh, last year as a player. And I think that the coaching staff, has a lot of trust and faith in Sanborn. Um, but clearly this front office saw enough in Sewell where they were willing to bring him in. And that's going to be something that's going to be uh, monitored throughout training camp. Uh, one more thing, one more uh, camp battle I'll throw out there as well. It has to be in the secondary. Like a lot of people are assuming that Tyreek Stevenson, for instance, is going to win the job at outside cornerback. Um, so again, that's not going to be very surprising if he wins that. We know that Darnell Wright is probably going to win the starting job at right tackle, but I'm curious to see on the defensive line is how much playing time Dexter and Pickens are going to get as rotational pieces in that defensive tackle group, because you have Andrew Billings and Justin Jones as veterans on the roster. Rasheem Green um, can play some defensive tackle for you. Demarcus Walker can kick inside and play some defensive tackle. Uh, so when you look at the entire you know group as a whole, I mean, 
snaps aren't going to be as plentiful for these guys if you're just looking at it on paper here. So training camp, it, it certainly has to be a, a big proving ground for these two guys to get some playing time at the start of the year. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and people's the projections for Javon Dexter coming out were seemingly all over the place because some people had him graded as a true second round guy. Some people said that he should have been a late day two, really a guy who was drafted on early day three. But the reality is that Javon's coming and made such an impact and he's really had flashes of a sense of brilliance throughout OTAs and minicamp. But now the question really for him becomes this is that you know the game is physical but just how much more physical is he going to be and how much more consistent is he going to be when it comes to really going out there and playing every single down the big thing though to understand is that justin jones is the top ranked defensive tackle on this team after that it's kind of completely up in air in terms of depth but also who is going to come in and kind of be that second nose tackle in this 4-3 scheme we know Justin Jones is playing the three tech for the Bears but I would seriously say that Demarcus Walker and Javon Dexter have a really good chance of being that second defensive tackle. The key thing, though, is that Demarcus Walker offers a lot more versatility in that room. And so even though I'm not a big fan of the $21 million deal over three years, there is a chance I would not be surprised if Walker ends up having really a breakout season heading into his first year with Chicago. And then you look at Zach Pickens. He's another guy who, again, is a pretty solid pillar in the running game he's a guy who again can disrupt the passer but Pickens is not necessarily the most athletic guy out there and he really relies more on his size than he does his actual football acumen to be able to go ahead and win on every single down yeah and I, and I think that honestly I, f- I feel like both those guys kind of project towards different roles on the defensive line like we talked about this quite a bit, you know, and, the, and that Ryan Poles has kind of alluded to the fact that Dexter can play both one tech and three tech, but to me, he kind of profiles as more of a one tech. So I see him as an Andrew Billings backup or I, whereas I see Pickens being a three tech backup for Justin Jones. That's the way I kind of view it working out uh, this year. And it was interesting going back and rewatching the bears from last year on tape. And you saw this quite a bit where they would rotate, you know, do full on rotations on the defensive line where they would take out both their starters in the, in the interior and replace them with two backups while keeping their starting edge guys out there and, and vice versa. Right. So they would mix and match different lineups throughout the year. And that's kind of what they're going to do probably this year. So we're, we're going to see some lineups where we're going to see um, or personnel groupings, I should say, where we see Dexter with Jones out there. We're going to see Pickens with Billings out there. We're going to see Dexter and Pickens out there. Like, uh, we're going to see a, a lot of combinations here with that interior group. It's just a matter of how many snaps these guys get because we know what Billings is, right? He's a good, solid run defender who doesn't really offer anything as a pass rusher. Uh, and we know what Justin Jones is. We saw what he was last year as kind of being the top defensive tackle on the, on, the, on the depth chart last year and didn't really work out for him, did not have a great season, I, I would say. So um, 
yeah, they're the the opportunity is there for those guys to get a ton of playing time, and I, I definitely expect that to be the case. But time will only tell, and training camp can only do so much for that because, like I said, with the offensive line, they're not really wearing pads for a lot of it. So we're going to have to see these guys when they get to preseason games and then eventually regular season games uh, as well. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for in terms of our training camp discussion here for this episode. And to end this podcast, let's do a little bit of preview for the college football season and, and talk about some guys that we're excited to watch here. So uh, you say, what is – a position group or some players that you're kind of looking forward to seeing uh, develop throughout this upcoming college football season and, and some of the names that are on your mind for that position group. I mean, the biggest position group for me is going to be the addresser position. You kind of look at where this group is at and it's fair to argue that a guy like a Jared verse from Florida state, Dallas Turner, from Alabama, and there's a handful of other guys there as well. There's two or three Ohio State prospects. They are going to be players who you could see five or six edge rushers selected in the first round. It could possibly be a historic night for edge rushers in round one and then going into rounds two and three. And it is an incredibly deep and talented group, but the other position to keep an eye on for me is going to be quarterbacks because we know what you have with Caleb Williams and Drake Maggi. Beyond that, though, everything is completely up in here. Michael Penix Jr. from, I believe, Washington. He's a guy that a lot of people are still split on. Quinn Ewers from Texas really became a national media favorite last year, a fan favorite as well. Being as young as he was, there's a lot of people who wonder, what is Quinn going to do this year to take his game from good to great? And could he possibly be the third quarterback that ends up bursting onto the scene? And then, as always, there's you're going to have your kind of polarizing prospects, as I love to call them. But the first name that's incredibly polarizing is Spencer Rattler, who, again, a lot of people had as a top draft pick just a couple of years ago when he was at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. That didn't necessarily work out. And now he's at South Carolina trying to rebuild his career up to say that Spencer is a first round pick right now is not a statement. Anyone should be making. It's not necessarily a true statement. Spencer's going to have to build himself back up. But right now I see him being a day two, day three guy, Best case scenario is that he is a day two guy and gets selected in rounds two or three, for example. I would even argue this. Best case is selected in round two. Worst case, he's selected far outside round two. And then the biggest name overall has got to be Oregon's Bo Nix because Bo was a guy when he was at Auburn, the starter there. I believe they went to the SEC championship game, but his whole thing was the fact that he was at one point labeled as one of the top quarterback prospects. And then that necessarily never worked out because what happened is he went through all sorts of inconsistencies. He was never really able to get it right. The physical and athletic part of the game for Bo Nix is right there. But in terms of consistency, rep to rep, play to play, that is really what lacks for Bo Nix. And so it's holding him back from, becoming one of the better quarterbacks in this class. And so this is a QB class that's coming up where you're going to have, you already know you have two guys, but everything beyond that is such a question mark. We should not be surprised if we're sitting here going into January, about six months down the line. We're talking about the possibility of having 
another NFL draft where we see four to five quarterbacks selected in the first round. And by the way, at the back half of that, these quarterback rankings coming up, you're going to see a lot of different movements, similar to 2021, where you kind of had your top three with Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and then Trey Lance or Justin Fields. And then beyond that, when you looked at it, there was a lot of debate between who's the more superior player and prospect when it comes to discussing guys like a Mac Jones or Desmond Ritter. You're going to see a lot of that same conversation come back this year. Yeah, and we, and we talked about this quarterback class, right? You know, they're clearly two top guys, right? We, you talk about Caleb Williams and Drake May. The, the NFL teams are already, you know, getting ready to I, not tank for those guys, but a lot of teams um, at, at the bottom of the uh, league standings who need a quarterback are definitely looking forward to having a high draft pick to go get those guys, right? Um, and then, yeah, after that, like, it does get questionable. Like, Spencer Rattler, especially, the the trajectory that he's been on has been all over the place. You know, at one point last year, we were talking about him at the beginning of the year as maybe a top prospect in last year's draft, and then last year was just a complete disaster, right? And his last year at Oklahoma, I should say, was a complete disaster. And then even, uh, you know, this past season, um, didn't necessarily have a great year for South Carolina either. So, um but the flashes are still there where you see a lot of talent in his game. So that's going to be something for, for him especially to, to follow. You know, he does have a lot of talent, and we'll see if he can put it all together. And what I think is going to be his last collegiate season, if I'm not wrong. Um, and then Bo Nix, I mean, kind of the same thing, although he did play a little bit more consistency in, at Oregon where he had a better foundation, he had a better offense that he was in, more talent around him. And also helped that helps that he's not playing in the SEC. So that certainly helped him quite a bit for um, his development. But one position group that I'll be looking forward to watching this year is the off-to-tackle group because, yeah, the Bears don't have a huge need at tackle anymore because you have Braxton Jones and you have General Wright. And I feel personally pretty good about both those guys being starters long-term. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you never know what would happen, right? You know, Jones could certainly underperform in the second year. Wright could underperform as a rookie. So, you know, you should always be in the position, I think, as an NFL team to be proactive at addressing the offensive line as opposed to being reactive to it. And that was a problem with the last regime is that they were very reactive to addressing offensive line problems rather than being proactive about improving that situation. Um, so, when you look at some of the top guys going into uh, this next year's draft, like the top two that really stand out are Joe Alt of Notre Dame and Olu Fashanu out of Penn State. Um, those are clearly the top two guys, as a lot of people see right now. Fashanu is kind of like the best pass protecting left tackle in the draft as it projects right now. And Alt is kind of like an all-around guy who – um, again, he's just a classic Notre Dame offensive lineman, right? Where they just they just pump these guys out, and um, he's just really solid across the board. But you know, outside those two, there are some intriguing players that I look forward to watching this draft. Like J.C. Latham out of Alabama, he's playing right tackle for them uh, this year, I think. Although he might be playing left tackle, but he played right tackle for them last year. Um, physically, really talented player. You know, he's not quite. Um, what I think with like Broderick Jones was last year for Georgia. He's not quite in that tier of physically talented guy, but a guy who just has a lot of physical ability who just needs to put it all together as a player. And the same goes for uh, Zion Nelson uh, out of Miami, 
who, again, kind of similar skill set. He, he was a very much a hyped player going into his college career. You know, he struggled with inconsistency, though. And that's the thing for a lot of these tackles is that it takes a while for them to realize that they can't just rely on their physical tools and physical gifts and that they have to pair their physical gifts with solid technique and, you know, consistency for all the snaps that they play on a down to down game to game season to season basis. Right. And that's kind of the challenge with all offensive linemen. So uh, this tackle class, I, I am very interested in seeing the way it develops here because there are some interesting players. Uh, another one I'll point out Kingsley Sumatea out of uh, BYU. He's another guy who really good athlete, very good run blocker. Pass protection is a little, eh. you know, we'll see if he gets better there. Um, but yeah, there are some intriguing names to keep an eye out here. And, you know, certainly we'll be talking a lot more college football as the weeks go on and we get closer to the season there. But as far as this episode goes, I think it's going to wrap it up for us here today as, um, yeah, we just we have one more week until training camp, really. And from there, it's just going to get really exciting to get back into football season. So uh, with football season right around the corner here, Bears fans, make sure to like, rate, subscribe to us on all the podcasting platforms here for us at the airport, at Pittsburgh Poles, and uh, for the Blue Wire podcast. Um, and then make sure to follow us on social media as well. You can follow us on Twitter at Pixar Polls. Uh, you say, where can our listeners find you on Twitter and, and find your work on uh, the Bear Report? Yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. Check out my work on the Bear Report. I have some articles dropping over the next couple of days here. Yeah, absolutely. As for me, you can give me a follow at AJFreeman25 on Twitter. You can get all my takes there. Um, you can find my work on the Bear Report as well. And um, yeah, it's 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 crazy that we're almost the football season, but I'm excited. I've already got you know training camp days lined up to be going already. Um, I can't wait for it. It's 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 really starting to come into perspective here. You say that we're almost the football season. This off season has been way too long at times. It feels like we're talking in circles at times, which I'm probably doing right now but uh with that said uh it's been it was a fun episode today and looking forward to next week until next time bears fans bear down and have yourself a good rest of your week when you make decisions for your company you always look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your process to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy mail checks invoices legal documents books and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.